This is your coffee break. Hey friends, I'm back again this week and I have with me a very special guest for you. Her name is Anne Vogel and since founding her blog six years ago, Anne has emerged as a talented writer, a skilled community builder, and a trusted tastemaker. She has a knack for getting the right books into the hands of the right readers, which makes her opinion sought after by authors, publishers, and media outlets. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to have you here. First and foremost, so you run the blog, The Modern Mrs. Darcy. I do. Uh, You also have a podcast. So you're a fellow podcaster called What Should I Read Next, uh, which, which I love. You also just published a book, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. <laughs> awesome. I would love to talk about all three of these things. And I'd, I'd like to start off with, with your blog, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what, what sort of the blog encompasses and uh, why you started it? Sure. Uh, well, I started it largely on a whim and it wasn't even my idea. <laughs> so my husband and I were sitting around. I don't. I don't know the exact date, but it was that New Year's time of year, mm. like right before the year ended, right after it began. And the, our kids were younger then, so they were actually in bed while we could still keep our eyes open. And we had takeout sushi and a bottle of wine. And we were talking about, you know, what do we do in the past year that we loved? And what do we do in the past year that we never want to do again? <laughs> and what might we do in the year ahead? And my husband had had a kind of business blog for work in 20, 2010, I guess. And I said you seem to enjoy that. Are you going to keep doing it? I think you should. And he's like, no, no, no. I've been thinking about who should really have a blog. I was like, who? (laughs) He's like, you, you should tell, you should totally start one. I'm like, I don't even read blogs. Are you crazy? But I'm persuadable. And 15 minutes later, we had like this spiral notebook that had a bunch of category ideas and brainstorming names. And Modern Mrs. Darcy was not on the list then, but that was the beginning. And it didn't go live until February. Which seemed like a really, really long time at the time. But looking back, it's like, oh, that's nothing. Oh, my gosh. It was like six or seven weeks. (laughs) But that's what happened. And so on the blog, it's evolved quite a bit. Um, Now, my favorite way to describe it is something a reader said they think of it as. And that is a lifestyle blog for nerds. Uh, Yeah, there is. Which, like, raise his hand. Card-carrying member. Yeah, nerds unite, all that. But... um, it's not just books and reading, but the the underlying goal is to help readers get get more out of their lives by mm-hmm. seeing familiar issues in new ways. And also, truly, a big chunk of it is to help readers get more out of their reading lives. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the ways in which books can enrich our lives? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, well, there's so many ways. So... Sometimes we need to uh, get away from our lives for a little bit, and books are a good place to escape into. And I also find that books can really enrich the life we're living by teaching us things, helping us see situations or people in new ways, um, just by giving us ideas to mull over. Uh, I love ideas. I'm an idea person, so I love that about books. And I've also, I'm so glad because I really, book people are the best people. So thank you, Sarah. Also, I found that books are, and I didn't really expect this, but they're such great connectors. When when people are able to connect over a book, 
it's because they really see something the same way or are able to converse about ideas that are a lot deeper than the like, oh, hey, we've never met. Did you see that movie yet? Com- conversation. It's mm-hmm. been incredible to me how books really bring people together and provide an entryway to discuss the things that really matter most in life. And I love that about readers and about the reading life. I love that too. I absolutely love that too. It sort of forms an instant bond. I'll be in a bookstore and I'll say, oh my gosh, I love this. And then there's always someone around who is, you know, who who can chime Mm -hmm. in and agree or disagree and you can start a dialogue that way. They're, they're really wonderful. I kind of want to talk a little bit about um, how you make your book recommendations. This is something that you're very well known for. Um, How do you play book matchmaker? What, what even goes into that process? Well, I'm an INFP. You are too, right? I am. Okay. So I always thought it was a huge disadvantage that I could not keep a linear thought in my brain. Um, (laughs) Because I'm really not good with the um, like on the surface analytical, logical A goes to B goes to C goes to D Mm -hmm. mind. But I'm an excellent circular thinker. Um, (laughs) Me too. (laughs) It can be maddening when you're trying to plan out your grocery list or your agenda for the day, week, month, or year. But for seeing big picture themes in people's book choices, it's actually really, really useful. And it took me a long time to realize that what I was doing first on the blog and then on the podcast with literary matchmaking was, it it was funny to see how something I've always seen as a big weakness is really what enables me to do that. And um, so what I do is readers tell me, to do the formal, what should I read next style literary matchmaking is readers tell me three books they love, one book they don't and what they're reading now. And then I recommend what they should read next. And I really try and don't like it. Um, when people say like, Oh, you liked that world war two spy novel featuring a plucky female protagonist. Here's another world war two spy mm. novel featuring a plucky, like I try to avoid read a likes, but try to see what is it about that book that really spoke to you. And, here's something on the surface completely different that no algorithm would ever generate, but that is just right for you because it gets to why you want to read, not just what the actual plot of the story actually is. I love that you do this. I feel like um, libraries and bookstores don't do a great job of this. Um, Librarians do. And I feel like some engines maybe get it right, but it it comes down to people and your deep understanding of how people work, what they need, what they appreciate, your willingness to dig deep into that really does. uh, It does make a difference in what people read next. I love that. I want to ask a little bit more about uh, your podcast, which sort of follows on this theme of what should I read next? Um, If people are interested in listening to that, uh, what do you talk about on the show and how can they find it? Every week it's book talk, reading recommendations and literary matchmaking. And you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We are as of recently on Spotify. And it's what should I read next? Perfect. So you talked a little bit about being an INFP. And for listeners who aren't familiar with that, that comes from the Myers-Briggs personality test. And this is actually something that your new book uh, is based around. It's called Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything. I would love to like, just pick your brain about how you got interested in personality and really uh, how that influenced everything that you're doing today. 
Well, I've been interested in personality frameworks and quizzes for a really long time. And I didn't realize it back then. I mean, I didn't even know my type back then because in the book I talk about how I got it wrong for a really long time. But but as an NF and especially as an NFP, I am that I talk way more than just Myers-Briggs in the book. But while we're talking INFP, um, those those types are especially likely to be interested in personality frameworks because we love to know what's going on beneath the surface, what makes people tick, why they do what they do. And we are really fascinated by potential and possibilities. Mm-hmm. And what I love about personality frameworks, true to type, is that I feel like they really help you see the possibilities within yourself and with other within others um, in a really explicit way that you might not notice if you didn't know what you what you could look for. Hmm. You know, like you're not going to see it if you're not trying to see it in many circumstances. And I've just always been I've always been fascinated, but it always hasn't been helpful to me. So at a certain point when my husband and I were first married, actually, it goes back to before we were married, um, we had to do personality tests as part of premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a frustrating experience because we spent forever filling out all the little bubbles with all the number two pencils. And (laughs) we sat down with our lay counselors for um, our results. They were like, uh, you know, you're going to have some problems with conflict, but we don't see anything deeply disturbing here. You'll be fine. And we were like, wait, we, we filled out all those bubbles and all we're going to hear is <laughs> not, nothing is deeply disturbing, but we'll be fine. We might <laughs> have trouble with conflict. Mean? Like, why do we, why do, I mean, were we just doing it so that any glaring red flags would, would make you go, hold on, <laughs> let me send you <laughs> to the expert. And also what would that look like? Because I'm really, really curious. Like what would we have bubbled in that would make you go, hold on folks. Well, right. We, we have some issues here. So, but we didn't get any of those answers, but we were getting married. So we were pretty busy, you know, the, the marriage and moving and, um, we got, we were babies when we got married. So we were graduating from school and all that. But later, once we were settled in our new lives, I remembered, I wanted to know about this. So I um, checked a whole big stack of books out of the library because we still had dial-up internet, so I couldn't just Google everything the way that I would today. And I'm a book lover, so in hindsight, I think that was probably an advantage that I was sent to physical books and Hmm. not rabbit trailing down the internet. But when we first got married, we had problems with conflict, like human beings do. And we just did, we were both like quieter types, Hmm. no like fireworks and fanfare, but he would want to do one thing and I would want to do another and we just get stuck and we didn't know where to go from there. And it was very boring and, you know, nobody was throwing plates at the wall or anything, but it was just like, huh, what happens next? And it was really frustrating. So meanwhile, I was reading these books about personality and I didn't know my types at the time in any of these frameworks. And I stumbled upon this description of Basically, basically it was uncanny. It was like I stumbled upon this description of how this type and that type handle conflict or don't handle conflict more like it. And it was like I was reading about us. Mm. And it said, this is what how this type feels and thinks in this situation. And this is how this type feels and thinks. And these types of people get along swimmingly, except for this one area. Like they're extremely well suited, except for this area. And it's, it's likely to happen. And just reading about that, I don't remember walking away and being like, oh, this problem is solved. I know what to do about it now. But I did walk away and go, oh, like this is not a big deal. 
this is totally 100% completely normal and it is fine and we will figure it out where like half hour before I thought, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Is mm-hmm. it going to be like this the rest of our married lives? There's no way out. Um, and just having someone put a label on what was happening to normalize it and to say there is a way forward was so helpful. And that was when I really was hooked, like when I saw the power of it for the first time. Kind of basing this off of the notion that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. I love that you looked into this, you started discovering this, and now this has become part of part of your daily work. Um, if writers are, are listening to this now, what does understanding your personality type or even just personality types in general on a number of different spectrums from the Myers-Briggs to the Enneagram, what does that mean for writers in particular? Well, the different frameworks look at different things, but... I think when you understand the personality frameworks a little better, it helps you see why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. And to write authentic characters, it's really important to know what your people want and why and what they're trying to achieve and how they're going to go about it. And with some of the different frameworks, especially the Enneagram, um, behaviors that look totally the same on the surface in a moment can be prompted by radically different things beneath the surface and just understanding what people can value and what they can fear and what they can be irrational about, but in very predictable ways can really give you insight into your characters, what they want, what they're trying to get, what they need and what they are like deathly afraid of that can really make them read true. Um, the more I know about personality types, the more I've been able to, well, let me stop and say that I think all these frameworks express something true Hmm. about people, or at least the ones in my book. Like I have encountered ones that I haven't found helpful or ones that I think like, is this really how people are? I don't know. But the seven popular personality frameworks in reading people are ones that I personally Hmm. really dove into and have found helpful. Um, But I'm, I'm a big reader. And so I've encountered lots and lots of characters in, in fiction. And most readers have read about a character or a hundred or a thousand <laughs> that just don't seem like real people. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's really a gift for a writer to be able to make someone leap off the page and think like, oh, that could be my friend, my neighbor, my coworker, my child. Like they're capturing like real human experience on the page. And the more I learn about personality frameworks, the more when a writer isn't getting it right, I can, I can see why. I'm like, oh, well, you know, you can't be tall and short. Like you can't have, you can't be like eight feet tall and have size seven feet. You can't, you know, you can't be, you can't be everything to everyone. Um, and when writers combine things that don't typically coexist in the same human being together, um, what they're getting wrong is that person's personality. Like that people just aren't like that. And the more, you know, the less likely you are to create a human that couldn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. And not just because you brought them into being with your pen or your keyboard. Agree. Do you have like a favorite character that you believe is done exceptionally well and realistically? Oh, a favorite character, like true to type. Mm-hmm. You know, I am not, I don't often type people as I read. Although in the book, I did really dive into fictional characters. I just read a wonderful book by um, Maggie O'Farrell called, that I've been thinking about a lot all week because of um, stuff that's happened in my personal life that's weirdly reminiscent of this novel I read earlier this month. And um, 
it's called This Must Be the Place. And I did think her characters were exceptionally well drawn, like the way that they responded to um, like everybody, every character in her book had something terrible going on in their life and the way that she showed their motivations and what they did because of it really rang true to me. But then on a more like surfacey level, I think like Anna Green Gables mm. is such an INFP or, uh, you know, like everybody likes to type the Harry Potter characters. You've probably seen the Myers-Briggs charts on <laughs> BuzzFeed or Pinterest if you are remotely into that because they're all over the place. But, uh, but an all-time favorite. I mean, that is why that is why my all-time favorite books are my all-time favorite books is because the characters are real. Mm. And it's the kind of thing that as a reader, you know it, you know it when you see it, like you feel it too. I love it. Yes. And I love that you brought up Anne of Green Gables because I also have such a deep connection to her. Like she was just everything to me growing up. So thank you for bringing that <laughs> up. Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, how how would a writer uh, go about getting into personality types? Um, is there one in particular that you suggest they take for themselves? Well, what I try to do in reading people is give readers who aren't familiar with personality frameworks or who are curious but have never really learned anything valuable, an overview of what they can expect Hmm. to find out by digging a little deeper. And I do give an overview of seven popular personality frameworks. And the reason I wanted to do that between the covers of one book is I found that some frameworks, because there's, there's a lot out there. So mm-hmm. I go into Kiersey's Temperaments and Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and the Strengths Finder, but I don't go into like the DISC assessment or the Kobe work assessment or the big five because those ones have been less helpful for me personally. Mm-hmm. And then at different times in my life, I like, um, it's only in the past four or five years that I've really started digging into the Enneagram, but I looked into it 10 years ago and it just didn't do it for me then. Like, I don't know if I wasn't ready or if I just had the wrong tools, but I think all that is emblematic of the fact that people resonate with different frameworks at different points in their life. Cause they speak the thing that they need to know or need to understand right then. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give people banquet might be a little bit, I didn't want to give people a banquet cause that would be overwhelming, but I do want to give them a, curated selection of choices Mm -hmm. of ones that were like, like something there is going to be really helpful and important to you right now. But you don't have to spend like hours upon hours of your life reading about everything to find the one for you. That was my goal with many people. (laughs) I love it. You know, that's, it's so interesting. I want to go back to something else that you said for the first time. um, I I recently came out with a, a new fictional publication. And for the first time I used, um, uh, Myers-Briggs to sort of center my my character. And it just made such a huge difference in, in how realistic the character was. So I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate that there are so many more um, different types out there because I had only known about the Enneagram and the, the Myers-Briggs. So thank you for sharing these different frameworks with us. I'll make sure that I have a link to your book in the show notes for today's episode and people can kind of check that out from there. Gosh, I just I have so many questions for you because you just have this span across so many things that are book related that I absolutely love. So these things that sort of define characters, these personalities, where do they come from? And I know this, I don't want to get into the whole nature versus nurture kind of thing. But what is the seed that gets planted for um, someone's personality to really define who they are? 
Well, personality means different things to different people. Um, and actually something that's really confusing, I think, about many of these personality frameworks, like the reasons that people, one of the big reasons people will like dive into Myers-Briggs and be like, what is happening? I do not understand. Is because when you're talking about personality, a lot of words you know are used in definitions you don't know that oh. aren't like, you know, they're like the fifth definition in the dictionary yes. listing, not the first. So that can be really confusing to people. Um, when I talk about personality in the book, I'm talking about those traits that are more or less hardwired. Like, just like my eyes are blue, like I am an introvert. That is just the way I came, like out of the box, factory model. <laughs> and there's no amount of trying that can change that about me. And people's personalities aren't completely static. Um, like we're all likely statistically to become a little more introverted over time or a little more conscientious. This is not true about everyone, but that's what the statistics bear out. But just a little bit. Um, we can change our personalities a little bit, but it takes great effort to move the needle and then we don't move it very much. So I'm talking about characteristics characteristic patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior that capture a portion and just a portion, but a true portion mm -hmm. of who we are. So when a character, so say I have a character who's an ISTP in the Myers-Briggs, they go through a story arc. Maybe they don't change their personality type, but they learn and grow. How, how do they learn and grow then? It's difficult. Well, it's almost impossible to change your personality to a great extent. Um, it's difficult to change your core beliefs, actually. Yeah. But many behaviors are not that difficult to change. Gotcha. Now, anybody who's tried to like develop, I don't know, a 5 a.m. wake up call <laughs> habit or an exercise habit and fails knows that it's not easy, but but it is well within the realm of possibility for our, us to change all manners of behavior. And a lot of times when, um, when people in real life or in books have big epiphanies, it changes how they move forward. And it's interesting, in the course of researching the book, I learned that there are definitely certain circumstances where it's quite easy for people to change. Um, a big one, and it's one we also see a lot in fiction, is when people change their concept of who they are, mm -hmm. when they change their identity, it's very easy for them to change their behavior compared to most other circumstances. Um, like the phrase, I'm the kind of person who blank, like whatever's in that blank has enormous power on what you then decide to do. Um, even if you're doing something like, uh, quitting smoking, you know, like, um, some aura uh, or working out or spending more time with your family or getting your neighbor's mail and paper when they're gone. Like saying, I'm the kind of person who is a good neighbor, is a warm parent, is there when my friends need me, uh, who takes good care of her body, who, who shows up, who gets things done. Like however you fill in that blank, I'm the kind of person who alters your behavior. And in books, a lot of times you'll see that kind of epiphany. Like your character will have some kind of circumstance happen to them or they'll be involved in it and it will change their understanding of where they stand in the world. Mm. And then what happens next changes. They seem like a different person, but really they're able to change their behavior because they see themselves differently. 
Oh my gosh, this is fascinating. I cannot wait to check out your book. Um, so if people are looking for you online, I already mentioned I would be linking to your book in the show notes for today's episode. Um, where can they find you? They can find me at my blog, modernmrsdarcy.com, or my home base online that links everywhere else is annbogle.com. And it's Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L.com. <laughs> And with an E, B is in books. Perfect. Meant to be. That's so wonderful. Sorry, that's an Anne of Green Gables uh, reference there for those of you who are not <laughs> familiar with it. I really didn't want to ask you what your favorite book was or what you were, uh, what you would recommend to me since you don't know me. But um, <laughs> for those of you who are looking for books to read, also please check out Anne's podcast, What Should I Read Next? Which again, you can find out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Congrats on that again. And this has just been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I, I appreciate it so much. I'm so fascinated in your work. And I encourage today's listeners to just go check you out, buy your book, uh, listen to your podcast, read your blog, um, and, and do all of that wonderful stuff. So thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for inviting me to talk books and reading. <laughs> Always and anytime. Exactly. Um, <laughs> 